Hebrews 11.32 And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. And he goes on. We're going to just look at those two because we're not going to get any further than Gideon here tonight. And in order to do that, we're going to go back into the book of Judges and take a look at the actual story. He doesn't give a whole lot of detail on this to show exactly what he's looking at, which is kind of, we kind of miss that because when he would go back and look at a person's life and he, the ones he was pulling out had some specific meaning for what he was getting at. And it was nice to see that drawn together. But we'll do it ourselves here in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. And leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Well, surprise, surprise, Israel disobeys God and... Begins to worship idols. Uh, God judges them. And one of the avenues of judgment is the Midianites. And they come on over. And it doesn't even seem like they came over and took their food. They came over once they would plant it. And they would just destroy so that it couldn't grow up. And they would just keep them in poverty. Keep them in a place of uh, not being able to, to satisfy the food requirements of the, of the land. This, is good. this had been done for seven years. The word said, and every time we talk about this, we always get into this, this one word, frustration. <clears throat> because it's very frustrating when you serve, when you think you serve God or, um, you know, God is, is at least called your God and things are not working out so well. You're in, in poverty, you have no food, you're in fear, and you can become frustrated. We're going to see that Israel is in that state and so also is our star here, Gideon. I put in your outline that frustration comes from a dissatisfaction from the where's, the what's, and the who's. Specifically being where we are. We can get frustrated with where we are because we want to be someplace else. We can get frustrated with what's going on because we want something else to be going on than what is. And we can get frustrated with who we are because we want to be someone else. And for Israel, it's the latter two. They're frustrated because of what's going on <clears throat> and who they are or who they are with. <clears throat> Excuse me. They don't want to be with these folks that are coming in. They want to be with their, their own. They want to have the jurisdiction of their own land. <clears throat> so it's easy to become exacerbated with how things are, but harder to see why and how to change it. Now, every time we've taught on frustration, we've giving that same principle, but it's it's something we really have to learn. It is easy to become exacerbated with how things are. But it's hard to see why and how to change it. Just because you get frustrated, just because you get exacerbated at what's going on, doesn't mean that you're spiritual. Doesn't mean that you have any spiritual insight. The spiritual insight comes on how to get out of it. Now, the Midianites, <clears throat> we've heard about them before, haven't we? <clears throat> Jethro was the priest of who? 
Midian. So these are the same folks. Now, how do you go from Moses dwelling among them to Moses going to war with them? That could be a little awkward. Now, Moses went to war with them back in Numbers chapter 31. In fact, it was the last act of Moses. Moses uh, was told by God, he says, uh, Moses, before you come up, i got one more thing for you to do. You're going to go and take revenge on the Midianites. And if you wonder why he's taking revenge on the Midianites, you remember the whole incident with Balaam? That's when the Moabites joined forces with the Midianites and they conspired and they uh, tried to curse them from the mountains and that didn't work. So then Balaam counseled them and said, send your women, dress them up a certain way, send them on out there, coax the men into uh, worshiping your gods and becoming sexually immoral and you will pull them from the blessings of God. And that's what they did and it worked. Many people died. And God says, we're going to take vengeance on them for having done that. And so Moses sent his uh, people on over. But when Moses did it, and you can go back to Numbers chapter 31, you can read over it. But uh, when Moses did it, he said, all right, we're only taking a thousand men from each tribe. They have a lot more people to go, but we're only taking a thousand men from each tribe. So that's 12,000 men altogether. And we're going to send them into the land of Midian. Then we're going to destroy them. And so they went on through. And they had five kings of the Midianites and they slaughtered all five kings. They took all of the cities. They burned all of the cities. The Word of God tells us they killed every male. Every one. It says that they left the women alive and they brought them back. And Moses was mad with them. Why did you bring the women back? Don't you know these are the very women who seduce the men and cause this great plague. He says, now go out there. And he says, uh, at that point, he said, just just kill the ones that have been married. Um, the ones that have not, you can you can keep alive. I'm not sure why he made that that uh, that thing, but all the males were dead. So how does the land of Midian go from all the males being killed, the cities being burned, and the king's gone, and destroyed to the place where they are here where there are a great multitude teamed up with another group and they come in and trample Israel. How did they get to that place? The supposition is that the Midianites were not just city dwellers that they also dwelt among the wilderness people around the wilderness in tents and so forth. And when the 12,000 men went on through they defeated the cities but they didn't go through all the wilderness and defeat all the wilderness. And so those folks that were in the wilderness rose up a new group of Midianites. And of course, they were bitter with Israel for having come through and, and done this. And so they were looking for an opportunity and they took it when they had it. So they came on up. And if they, uh, if you wonder why do you just come in through and just destroy stuff, it's probably because uh, you guys destroyed us. We're just going to come in here and let you guys starve. We want you to starve. We want you to die a slow death. So that was probably their their idea. But there was one particular group of Midianites that apparently was not destroyed. In Judges chapter 1 and verse 16, Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. <clears throat> if I didn't give you that reference, it's Judges one sixteen. The Kenites, how many of you do you remember, vaguely maybe, hearing of the Kenites? The Kenites are Midianites. They're descendants of Jethro. And they took on this name. And so when you see them come up, just understand they are Midianites, but they are Midianites from Jethro. They are descendants from him. Let's go on to verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord, you all know who the angel of the Lord is, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where? 
are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. So here we have the Lord saying something to somebody on earth, and they're not receiving it. Remember the Lord came and said some things to Abraham, and Abraham wasn't hearing it. Other people he would say things to, and they weren't hearing it. He came to Moses, called him to deliver. He says, no, I'm not a deliverer. He wasn't hearing it. It seems like a lot of people can look in the face of the Lord and say, you're wrong. But here the angel of the Lord appeared. And if you're wondering if he sees this as the angel of the Lord or not, I don't remember too many places. I can't remember really any occasion where the angel of the Lord appeared. Not an angel, but the angel of the Lord appeared and was not known that he was something special. They may not all known that he was the Lord Jesus Christ, but they sure knew that he was at least an angel. Something majestic. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This is the guy who's hiding from the Midianites threshing wheat. Of course, he's threshing wheat in the wine press. The wine press is surrounded by walls. It kind of defeats the purpose of threshing wheat. Because when you thresh wheat, you take it, you throw it up in the air, and the wind blows the bad stuff away, and the good stuff falls down. How are you going to do that in a wine press? Well, he feels like if he does it outside of the wine press, the enemy's going to see it and destroy it. So, he's hiding. And he comes to him and he says, You mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And this is a question that a lot of people ask. And um, I don't know of a Christian really alive today that doesn't ask this question. I rephrased it for you in your outline. If the word of God is true, why are my circumstances so bad? If the Lord is with me, why is this going on? How many times have we made prayers? Father God, if your word is true, if you're with me, if you love me, why is this happening? And see, that comes from a place of frustration. It's really easy for us to speak from a place of frustration. Now I put three things in your outline here. When frustration sets in, we feel first off, powerless. We feel powerless. I feel like I don't have any power to change the situation. It doesn't mean that I am powerless. It means that I feel powerless. I may have the ability to change the situation, but for whatever reason, I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel that people will accept it. I don't feel that people have given me proper authority. And I'll go through all kinds of things. None of those things may be true. But if the enemy can sell you on that and make you feel powerless, he will get you frustrated. And frustration is an enemy of faith. So when frustration sets in, we feel first off powerless. Secondly, we feel confused. I think it's supposed to go this way, but this is the way that it's happening. I would like it to be this way, but this is what's going on. And it can cause confusion. The Word of God tells us in the New Testament about about um, uh, where where confusion is in every evil thing. That there are certain conditions that are that are met. God's not the author of confusion. So if confusion is there, somehow the enemy has come in and he's muddled with some things. He's messed with some stuff. So powerless, confused. Thirdly, unjustly treated. How many times have you felt unjustly treated and it gets you frustrated? We can be over at work and somebody else was given a raise and we weren't. Somebody else was given time off and we weren't. Somebody else was given a benefit that we were not given. Somebody else's bonus was bigger than our bonus. Or they got one and we didn't. Whatever it might be, we can feel unjustly treated. Because whenever something goes on, the enemy rushes right in and he begins to say, Ah, how come it didn't come to you? Because he wants to create this atmosphere. If he can get you frustrated, he will get you out of faith 100% of the time. 
You cannot operate in faith and frustration at the same time. This is nothing new. We've gone over this with you before. Pretty much, like I said, every time we've gone over Gideon, because I went over all the outlines we did before, every time we go over Gideon, this is a topic we get into. It's an important one for us to learn because we all have been there. So the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This is causes this causes frustration. He rises up inside of Gideon. He gets frustrated. And he speaks from it. Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You can hear the frustration in him. See, when you are operating in the realm of frustration, when God speaks to you, it generally produces more frustration. Now Gideon's not our only example. Abraham was frustrated that he didn't have any kids. And when the Lord Jesus came and spoke to him and said, called him a father of many nations, what came out of his mouth? Frustration. (laughs) He wasn't happy that the heir of his house was not even born in his house. And then they started trying to take matters in their own hand. And he was getting getting frustrated. Because again... We feel powerless, we feel confused, we feel unjustly treated. How did Joseph's brothers go from a point of being his brother to a point of wanting to be his murderer? They got frustrated because they felt that their father treated them unjustly. That he was getting all the favoritism. And that pushed them into into that area. Why did Cain rise up and kill his brother? He was frustrated. Because his offering was accepted and his was not. Now notice this too. The Lord says to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon repeats it. Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? It's not exactly what he said, is it? The Lord said, the Lord is with you. He repeats, if the Lord is with us. The Lord didn't say he was with us. He said he's with you. He was having a hard time seeing the Lord with him when the Lord was not with all of them. Let's get going on here in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the land of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Go in this might of yours. I don't know that he's done a complete job of convincing him that he's mighty. I don't think he's there. But the Lord has declared it. And understand, if the Lord declares a thing over you, to him it's done. But we don't we don't always see it that way. If the Lord declares you are healed, don't we try and argue with Him? But I feel this, and I have this, but what about this? And we begin to argue with God, just like Gideon's doing here. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. The Lord calls him mighty, but he is stuck seeing himself in the weakest tribe, Manasseh, in the weakest clan of the weakest tribe. How can you use me? There's no strength in me. There's nothing good in me. I'm here hiding out in this wine press trying to do this job. And you say I can go out there and save Israel? And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Don't we all want a sign? Show me a sign. Now you've heard me say this before. Probably even heard other people say it. Well, I'll give it to you here again anyway. When we are in the land of frustration, faith is like another language. We can't understand it. 
When people speak to us in faith, when people speak to us things of faith, we can't under, we hear it, but I can't understand it. The Lord is speaking faith to Gideon, but he can't hear it. He can't understand it. He understands it in his own, his own realm there, but he's not on the right realm to understand it. Frustration is like a filter that keeps you from seeing what really is true. It's a filter. Keeps you from seeing what really is true. Now, I haven't used these in a long time, but uh, one of the things we used to use in photography is a filter. And you could put a filter on a camera and create a scene that does not even exist. You don't need computers. I mean, computers can generate it too. But I had filters, uh, one that would produce a lake in front of any picture that you want. You could produce a lake in front of your own house if you wanted. And it would look like a beautiful reflective pond or lake right in front of your own house. And you didn't need to have a computer. You didn't need to merge two pictures together. You could just take it with what was right there. All done by one filter. I had filters that could create a foggy day on a perfectly sunny day. I had filters that could create a sunset when it wasn't sunset at all. I had filters that could take out reflection off of windows so you can see right on through. Or take a picture in a pond and see the fish in the pond and not the reflection on the, on the water. There are so many different filters that will create so many different effects. And you can create something that just plain wasn't there. And when we, when we put on the filter of frustration, we put things into the picture that are not even there. God speaks something and we start putting all these obstacles and all these things in the way. And they're not even there. They don't even exist. But to us, they exist. They're strong and they're powerful. The frustration is like a filter. It keeps you from seeing what really is true. You can't see what's there. Now for Gideon, then for us, frustration keeps his faith from hearing, seeing, and acting. It keeps his faith from hearing the word of God. It keeps him from seeing what God sees and it keeps him from acting on what God says to do. That's what frustration will do. But frustration keeps doubt and unbelief strong and true. That's why the devil loves you to be in the land of frustration. He thinks that is just extraordinary. If he can keep you in that land of frustration, he will keep you from hearing the things from God hearing the things correctly and having it produce faith in you every single time. You cannot find anybody in the Bible who is frustrated, who heard from God truly. Can't do it. You had to get rid of that frustration first. When Moses was hearing the things from God about being a deliverer, what did that produce in him? It produced frustration. And when God spoke to him things, he couldn't hear it. Oh no, I can't speak well. I can't do this. This isn't going to go well. Um, they don't want me. Let's go on verse 18. Do not depart, or do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the turban tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So before he thought he was just something majestic, now he said, Oh, this was, this was the guy. Then just perceived that he was an angel. He perceived that this was the angel of the Lord. So angel, uh, so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Now we don't know how he just said that to him because he just departed. 
Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it is still in Afra of the Abirzerites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull the offer, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now is he in disobedience doing that? As far as I can tell, the commandment didn't say you had to do it by day. It just said do it. So he did it at night. It is a whole lot better to obey God with fear than it is to disobey God because of fear. Uh, it's just a whole lot better way to go. So don't think I'm obeying God with fear that it's a bad thing. It is far better to obey God and be fearful than to disobey because of fear. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joah said to, to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeroboam, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. Well, he had a commandment from, from the Lord. And it doesn't seem that the father is too upset that he was obeying the commandment of the Lord or what he used to do all that with. It seems uh, the father was defending the son. That's kind of curious as to uh, cause he, why he did that because he's putting himself at risk defending his son. What if they all got mad at him and the son and just brought them both out and killed him? But uh, he, he tries to bring them back. Look, if we're really serving a God over here, let him defend himself. And we don't hear that he goes back in and rebukes his son. He didn't do it. Now, the son had, uh, Gideon had gone out and in order to obey God, he got ten guys. I imagine there were ten buddies of his that he hoped would be on his side. But can you imagine getting ten people to do something that you said God wanted you to do that you knew the people were going to get mad at you about? I wonder how he found ten people to do that in a situation where they were all so fearful. But he did. And if you're going to keep something a secret, don't bring ten people in on it. Because it's not going to be a secret. And as you can see, it, it didn't. They just inquired around a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know what happened there. Uh, Gideon did that. I mean, my boy got involved with him. He came home and told me about it. So they knew right away what was going on. So even though he did it at nighttime... I don't think he was, I don't think he was so afraid as to be discovered doing it because I th- think he kind of knew he's going to be discovered that it was him who did it. I think he was more afraid that if I do it while I'm in the act of it, that they would come and they would kill me then. So this way we got it done and, um, he at least felt like he had a better, better chance of getting through it that way. Verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abizarites gathered behind him and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Nephtali and they came out to meet them. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. Hmm. We are still not in the place of faith. We are still very, very dominated by our flesh, by what we see going on, by what I feel, by what I'm being told by other people. 
if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So I know you said this, but I don't know if you're going to necessarily bring it about. So if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, God already spoke to him about it. He already has the word of God on it. But Gideon is hearing his flesh realm's argument as to why what he heard was wrong. And no matter what we hear from God, we may hear from God on a job. We may hear from God something from the word. We may hear from God something about uh, healing in our body. We may hear from God something about our families. We may hear from God many different things that go on in our life. We hear from God, your flesh will rise up and give you reasons to doubt that God said it. You will have reasons. You will be right in the same position that Gideon is. Verse 36. So God said, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I have put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, it is dry on all the ground. Then I shall know that you will have, you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowlful of water. Not just a little, it wasn't just damp. We got a bowlful of water. I don't know how big the bowl was, but it was, it was a, you know, not a little tiny thimble. It was a bowl. Now, if you had put that fleece out there, you got, I don't know how big it was, say it was a yard square. And just that was wet. Everything else was dry. Just that. And you rung it on that. I mean, that, that would have to be God, right? That it just dewed on that one area. No other place. Just there. That'd be remarkable, right? But you see, he is so flesh dominated that up inside him comes, well, maybe it just dewed on that one area. Yeah, maybe it did. Wow. Huh. Produces doubts inside. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let it be let there be dew. And God did so that night it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now that's pretty remarkable too. Everything else was wet with dew. No wetness at all on the fleece. It was dry. That still doesn't convince him. But he goes on. He doesn't ask for anything more. I put this in your outline for you. Since his flesh is in supremacy over his spirit, he needs an answer in that realm. When our flesh is in supremacy over our spirit, I need an answer in the realm of my flesh. It doesn't just mean we take little fleeces out and we put them outside. What it means is, if I'm believing God for a healing in my body, I need to feel something in my body in order for me to believe it. I need to feel it. If I feel called by God to do a particular thing, I need to see some kind of result. I need to see something happen. I can't just take the word of God on it. And that comes to be a problem. The problem isn't just the fleece. The problem is not just that we put a fleece before God. And as I was always taught, you put a fleece out before God, you'll get fleeced. (laughs) Don't do it. It's not a good thing to do. It did not help Gideon in the long run. Gideon still is not in a place of faith even after he leaves this. But I think he is too fearful to put anything else out before God. Because look how fearful he was just the second time. That didn't, um, wasn't going so well for him. I put this in your outline. This is a powerful principle that we need to get down. And it's probably not the first time you heard it. Flesh-dominated people misunderstand and misapply that which is from the Spirit of God. Flesh-dominated people misunderstand and misapply that which is from the Spirit of God. Because flesh cannot understand spirit. 
cannot understand it. When Jesus spoke to the disciples spiritual things and they heard it in their flesh, they got the wrong meaning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they said, it is because we did not take bread. They did not get the spiritual meaning from it at all. And how many times did Jesus teach them something spiritual and they received something fleshly? It was wrong. If we are dominated in the flesh, what we hear in the spirit will be misunderstood and misapplied. I and I put an end in there, not or. It is an end. We will misunderstand it and we will misapply it. If we are dominated in the flesh, whatever God speaks to us in the spirit, we will misunderstand it and we will misapply it. Which means we will make a mistake. We have got to get out of being flesh dominated. When we are frustrated, it is a sign that we are flesh dominated. It is not a sign we are in the wrong place. It is not a sign that we are in the wrong people. It is not a sign of anything else other than my flesh dominates me. Was Jesus in the land of frustration when he was in the land of Israel? He was not. He would get angry with people. He would speak to their things that they would do. But then he would just go right off and and teach little kids or teach his disciples. And if they misunderstood something, he'd rebuke them for it, but then he'd get right back into teaching them and to telling them what to go on. When we get in the area of frustration, we will miss God. It's amazing to me how many people, how many Christian people will get in the land of frustration and begin to instruct people that are around them. You cannot do it. I know for myself, when I have been in the land of frustration, my understanding is completely wrong. And you cannot do it. Cannot do it. I've been in jobs, and I've been frustrated with what was going on, and I was ready to make some bad mistakes. I was ready to make some bad decisions. Fortunately, sometimes I did not. Unfortunately, sometimes I did. But you get frustrated, you will make a wrong decision. You will not follow what God is telling you to do. You will follow what your flesh is telling you to do. And it will not help you in the long run. The best thing is to get a handle on the flesh, get it under you, instead of being under it. So that when God speaks to you spiritual words, you can hear them, understand them, and apply them. But flesh-dominated people misunderstand and misapply that which is from the Spirit of God. We can't understand it. Now, we're not going to get into chapter 7. You can read uh, chapter 7 if you want on your own. Keep on going into chapter 8 if you want. But we know that from here, he's going to go on out and he's going to get all these people and God's going to say, got too many. Got too many. We've got to thin them out. And he gives them a way to thin them out and so they thin them out and he's probably thinking, man, felt better with what we had before. I didn't like that a whole lot. Then he said, no, 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 you still got too many. Still too many. I think the first one, he said, everybody who's afraid, go home. I mean, who wouldn't be afraid? Homeless people went on home. He says, no, no, you still got too many. I want you to do this. Take them down, have them get a drink of water. The people who are just so thirsty, they put their head down in the water and they just drink, uh, send them home. But the people who uh, put the water in their hands and bring it up to their mouth, those are the people we're going to keep because they're, they're keeping an eye on things. And um, that's, what, that's what he wanted to do. So after, after that, you got 300 guys. 300 guys that take on a multitude. And God says, if I do it by too many, then you're all going to think you did it yourselves. We, we can't have that going on. So they... They stay with the 300. Now, if you were part of the 300 and most of people just went on home, you said you weren't fearful when you had the big group, then a whole mess of people went on home, maybe you became a little bit fearful. But they're not asking that question again. But now they reduce you down to 300. And you're thinking, hmm, <laughs> I don't know if I like these odds going into battle. But if the Lord is with you, it's all that you need. But he is still fearful. And so then God says, 
I'm going to give you something. See, when God says, I'm going to give you a sign, it's a whole lot different than if he's going to, if I ask him for a sign. He says, I want you to go down into the camp and I want you to listen to what's going on. So he goes down into the camp. He just picks some, because there's a huge multitude of people down in the camp. He just uh, picks a particular direction to go, follows after a particular thing, comes next to one tent, and just by the time he gets there, they begin to share about their little vision that they had. I had a dream. He talks about this dream and this, I think it was a loaf of bread tumbled down into the camp. And the other friend says, oh, that's nothing more than the uh, Gideon knocking us all out. <coughs> and so when he heard that the enemy was having dreams like this and interpret them, he says, all right, this must be God. He goes on back up. You see, what God will give you will help you. What you dream up on your own, it won't do it. But he finally heard this in the area of the Spirit. And we've made him the note many, many times. Gideon got in faith in his life for one day. And he changed the course of a nation. Delivered an entire nation. We don't see a whole lot of faith that comes out of Gideon after this. But here for this one day, he was in a place of faith. If Gideon could do that much, being in faith one day in his life... How much more should we do? There are three responses to opportunities. Because this is, a, this is an opportunity that Gideon has. Moses had an opportunity. Joshua had an opportunity. Abraham had an opportunity. So many people had an opportunity. In this, especially here in the book of Hebrews... He's talking about people who had an opportunity. An opportunity to believe God for what he said. They had an opportunity. There are three responses to an opportunity. First off, we can get frustrated and contract. I believe I've given this list to you at least once before, but it was a long time ago. thought it might be worth refreshing. Three responses to opportunity. First, we can get frustrated and contract. When I get frustrated, I pull back from what I'm doing. When you get frustrated, you will contract on what you do. Just think of yourself. When you get frustrated at work, does it make you want to do more at work? Makes you want to do what? Less. Because when you get frustrated, you contract. You pull back. When you get frustrated with your kids, what do you do? Well, fine. If they don't want to listen to me, then let them make their mistakes. You pull back. You contract. That's what frustration does. Here's the second one. When faced with an opportunity, we can get satisfied and resist. You can be in a place where you wish you long for something that is different, something that is better, something that is greater than what you've got. And an opportunity comes for you to pursue it and all of a sudden you get very satisfied with where you are. Oh, you know what? What I'm doing is just fine. I like this. I don't necessarily want all that extra responsibility. I don't necessarily want to to step out in this new new area. What if it doesn't work? And all of a sudden I get very satisfied with where I am. And when that happens... I resist whatever the opportunity is. I resist it. Because I'm happy here. God, I'm happy. Think of, think of Moses for this. Moses wandering around the wilderness. You know the call of God is still on him. You know that call of God is still pulling him out there to be the deliverer. You know he's still dreaming about this. It, it's still hitting him. Go out there and, and deliver. Set them free. Let God use you. Get this thing taken care of. And he's hearing this, hearing this, hearing this. And then when God gives him the opportunity, what's he do? You know what? I'm kind of happy here. Kind of like the sheep. You know, I'm kind of getting attached to these sheep. These uh, cattle that we got here. I really think I'm a, I'm a sheep guy. Not, a, not an Israelite guy. I think I'm a, I'm a sheep herder. I like being a sheep herder. I want to stay here among the sheep and the goats. This is this is a good life. 
this is this is good. I got married now, got some kids, uh, kind of satisfied. Up until that opportunity, we may have been longing for something else, but all of a sudden, we become satisfied. And I resist what God has taken me into. That's the second area. Here's a third response to opportunity. We get excited and expand. We get excited and expand. A great example of this is Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you, <laughs> you are being promoted. And he speaks things over, over Joshua. And Joshua, we don't see that he resists. We don't see that he contracts. Joshua, we see, is one who expands. Paul's one. When he's given the opportunity, he doesn't resist. You know, you resisted initially. But once he found out this was God, he accepted it. And he expanded. He got excited about where he was going. In fact, he even began to preach about Jesus Christ right off the bat. And then he went away and learned more stuff. But he got excited. And he expanded. There's other people in the Bible you could see that did this. Timothy was one who got excited about opportunity. And he expanded. John Mark was one. He was given an opportunity. And then all of a sudden... You know what? I was kind of happy with my life back at home. I'm going home. <laughs> he got suddenly very satisfied with where he was and decided to resist this opportunity and went on back. But those are three responses you will get from yourself whenever God presents you with an opportunity. You can get frustrated and contract and get smaller. Well, fine. I just won't do as much for God. I just won't do as much in this area. I just won't go after this. I just won't pursue this. I won't try and help people. I try and help people and they hurt me. I try and help people and they come up with all these, these excuses. Come on, we've all, we've all had those opportunities, haven't we? We get frustrated, we contract. We get satisfied. We resist. Or we get excited and expand. Whenever an opportunity from God comes your way, you will have one of those responses. You will have one of them. Most of it will depend on whether you are flesh-controlled or spirit-controlled. Because if you are flesh-controlled, you're going to have one of the first two reactions. If you are spirit-controlled, you will move into the third. The enemy loves to keep people in a place of frustration. He loves to tell them what other people are not doing and tell them what they are doing and why they're not being appreciated. Because if He can keep you in that land, He will keep you from hearing the things that God is speaking without a filter. You will change it in your own head. And even when you say it again, you will change it. And you won't even know that you changed it. You will think it's what God said. Because it's a powerful thing. And if we're not wise to it, if we're not careful with it, if we don't realize what we can do in the land of frustration, we will think that everything we're doing is spiritual and everything we're doing is of God. But it's not. I learned over the years, when I get into a place of frustration, it is not the fault of the people that are around me. It is my fault. And once I began to change things on my end, at least change the things that you can. Stop trying to change the things that you can't. Change those things that you can. It got a lot better. I want to give you one more example because he's in the book of Hebrews. Abraham did all three responses. Abraham got frustrated and contracted. He then got satisfied because I have a son and he resisted. He resisted the plan of God because I got a son now. 
God says, no, 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 we're not talking about that son. We're talking about a son of promise. And when he finally got excited about what God said, he expanded. Abraham's a neat example because, and I'm not saying nobody else did, it's just in the Word of God we have the stories that show us Abraham did all three responses. So just know this, if you can say, well, I did that response, well, I am doing that response, well, (laughs) Abraham did all three, and look what God did with him. Gideon, we know he did the first one, didn't he? We know he did the third one, at least for a day. And it seems like he got satisfied after that and resisted anything else God would do with him. It seems like Gideon may have done the same thing and done all three. But in the book of Hebrews, we are talking about people who had an opportunity from God and changed the course of history. Altered something very powerfully through the area of faith. What kind of opportunities are coming to us? And are we willing to hear what the Spirit of God has to say about them? Or is that filter going to keep getting in the way? Is our flesh that we have cleaned up and made look like something spiritual, is that flesh going to keep interpreting the things of God for us and telling us what God actually said? Or are we going to go back and hear what God said? And live that way. Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Now go in this might of yours and deliver Israel. Hmm. Father, we thank you for examples of people like Gideon because these are people we can relate to. We have failed We have visited the land of frustration sometimes multiple times. We have been in that place of satisfaction. We have resisted the plan of God. We have contracted from the plan of God. Father, faith gets excited when an opportunity from God comes along. (coughs) Father, that's how we want to respond. In faith, with excitement and expand our horizons, expand our vision and see great things. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.